Hello, everyone, and welcome to Police Off the Cuff, Real Crime Stories. I'm your host, Bill Cannon. I'm a retired 27-year veteran of the NYPD. And with me tonight, retired NYPD detective straight out of Brooklyn, Phil Grimaldi. How are you doing tonight, Phil? I'm doing pretty good, Billy, and I'm pumped up. I'm excited that uh, we have these two experts on organized crime that we're going to talk with tonight. And uh, I think it's going to be a great show. Folks, what we got going tonight is, uh, if you didn't watch the other night on 2020, they had The Last Gangster, and it mostly had to do with Sammy the Bull and the Gambino crime family, and there was a bunch of uh, folks on it, uh, experts. Well, we have two experts with us here tonight. We got uh, Brooklyn's, one of the head DAs in Brooklyn of the the prosecutor's office, Michael Vecchioni. Good to see you, Mike. Good to see you, Bill and Phil. Got to make sure I keep that straight, right? Phil and Bill. <laughs> That's right. And uh, the other guy in the window, he's not a cab driver. It's retired NYPD first grade detective and organized crime expert, Tommy Dades. So when we come back after the police off the cuff song, we're going to get right into the last gangster in a way that you've never heard before. It's a show. With two retired detectives That were in the thick of New York crime Fast and hectic They got some stories And some jokes Even an interview With the most powerful folks Off the cuff Off the cuff One episode Just saying enough And a little after And an interview too Welcome back, folks. We're going to bring you back to New York City, 1985. There was a lot of bodies dropping all over the city, not just from organized crime, but just from regular crime. There were drug gangs all over the city. And in 1985, the the Gambino crime family was run by the big boss, Paul Castellano. And a few conspirators got together and they came up with uh, the idea of whacking Big Paul. And I'm going to let Tommy Dades tell the, uh, pick up the story from there. Tommy, why don't you pick up the, you know, the who, when, where, and how, and why of this whole uh, conspiracy? I mean, everybody out there pretty much knows, uh, you know, what happened. Uh, there's, there's numerous reasons and theories on why they uh, wanted to eliminate Paul Castellano's boss, but the main reason were tapes that were made at Angelo Ruggiero's house on his phone, I believe on Bugs, where he was talking about all and a lot of people, mentioned a lot of names. And when uh, he got indicted and Paul Castellano got indicted, they wanted the, uh, Paul wanted the tapes. And they didn't want to turn over the tapes because it had a lot to do with drugs. And uh, they knew that if he heard those tapes, that that whole crew would probably be eliminated. There's other reasons why, you know, they didn't like him. But I think that's what pushed it over the top. And also, John got his ambition to, uh, to you know, go further in, in being a crime family and organized crime. So 
he basically was his idea. Um, he was behind it. Angelo Ruggiero approaches Sammy in Brooklyn, meets him. Um, he mentions what they want him to do, and they want to bring Sammy in. And Sammy wouldn't give him an answer until he spoke to Frankie DeChico, who was a very powerful captain at the time. And bottom line, make this, cut it short, is they come up, you know, they agree that they're going to be part of it. There's a lot of people a part of it. There's also a lot of people in the Gambino family, you know, that's never admitted to. That's Neil Delacroce. He and he wanted he wanted them not to do it, right? Well, no, he was he was he had passed away when when they killed Paul Castellano. That's another reason that Gotti didn't like uh, Paul, because uh, when Neil Neil was the underboss to Carlo Gambino, and when Carlo Gambino died, he felt that Neil should have you know grabbed the ropes. And Paul got the ropes. He was the underboss. And then when Neil died, he made Tommy Bellotti the underboss. So Tommy Bellotti and Paul were in the car together, coming from Jimmy LaRose's office, going to meet some people at Spark Steakhouse, and the rest is history. They killed him. Well, let's, uh, let's slow down a little bit. Mike, what Tommy was talking about, there's a lot of different reasons why uh, Paul Castellano may have gotten whacked. But Talk about guys selling drugs. That breaks the rules, but lots of rules are broken. You want to talk about the rules and the mob? Yeah, it's 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 a joke. You know, the, the unwritten rule is that nobody does drugs. Meanwhile, everybody did drugs because that's where the money was. They just hit it. And, you know, the other thing is that, you know, Castellano, nobody can convince me that Castellano wasn't taking a piece of the drug money. So, you know, the they were, they you know, that was... That was just, um, you know, the, as I call it, the unwritten rule. But quite frankly, everybody was doing it, you know. And they, they have all these rules, they say. But, you know, <laughs> every rule that they have is meant to be broken and is broken basically on a daily basis. So, you know, um, it, it, it's a joke. For instance, this was a rule that shouldn't have been broken, which is killing Castellano without, without the permission and the, uh, you know, of the, of the commission. They did it. That was a big rule. That's one of the major rules. You don't kill a, a made guy um, if you don't get a boss's permission. And in this case, you don't kill a boss if you don't get the commission's permission. And they did it anyway. So um, so it, it, it's they, they pretend to be this this organized group with all of their, you know, traditions and everything. Meanwhile, everybody's breaking rules left and right. And um, and unfortunately for Castellano, he was also a guy that was not liked by them for a lot of reasons and Tommy hit most of them, but he was also cheap. He didn't really, you know, when they would, when they, he was holding on to a lot more money than, uh, than he was giving out or, or letting out to the, uh, to the people who were under him. So that was another reason why they, uh, you know, they want, they kill. You know, him. Mike, I think he's also on the Sergeant's Benevolent Association eyeglass plan. Cause yeah. he has those cheap, <laughs> it's those really cheap frames there. You can see in that picture, you know, it's, it's a joke. <laughs> Nobody could mistake them for anybody else. They weren't going to miss that hit, boy, with those 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 bug eyes on him. You know, he looks a little bit like Charles Nelson Riley with those. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how he was walking. Some somebody should have told him. Hey, the, you don't look. Don't, don't, don't the wise guys have a health plan? They have you know the optometrist included or not? Yeah, <laughs> Unbelievable. You know, he yeah. also was compromised a great deal by those bug that bug in his uh, in his in his uh, dining room or his kitchen or whatever. In his house, the FBI had a bug in there. So Castellano was um, was a guy who was, you know, he he was on he was on the the path to being wiped out, you know. But and Gotti wanted to be the boss. 
That was another reason. Gotti just said, you know, I'm not gonna, I, I'm not gonna sit around and, and take, you know, take uh, this guy's orders. I, I want to be the boss. And Tommy, didn't he not show up at? Um, he didn't at show Bellacroce's up. At yeah, he didn't show up, and that was a, you know, who didn't show up? Big Paul. Yeah, Paul didn't show up at Delacroce's um, wake or funeral. Tom, one or the other. He didn't wake. go to any of it because he was under indictment at the time. Right. So that was another slap in the face, you know, and um, and that just made him even more uh, hated by Gotti. So. You know, let's just, if we could, uh, and Philly, uh, I mean, there were, there basically was four cons- co-conspirators, uh, Frankie DeChico, uh, Ruggiero, uh, John Gotti, and Sammy the Bull, right? And they all uh, did. So, Tommy, I know you know this a lot better than I do. I so mean, give that's, us. That's, I mean, John Gotti, it's his idea. He sends Ruggiero to Sammy. They wanted to get Frankie DeChico on board because he was a well, well-respected captain right. and very well-liked by a lot of guys and feared. And there were other guys that were in the loop, but there were also guys that were brought to Manhattan, low Manhattan, where they met, where they kind of mustered up. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> that's, a co- that's a cop term, the, the muster yeah. room. Before they actually go up, they had a tack plan going. They had a tack plan like ESU. A lot of the guys knew they were going to kill someone, but didn't know who they were going to kill till they got to the city. You know, that was very went to the restaurant that knew what was going to happen, and some one or two that didn't know what was going to happen, just in case the plan fell through. And you know, there was a real meeting taking place. You know, they were so they'd say face. But uh, the plan went, you know, as planned. Yeah. Now, the plan put together by by Sammy, uh, I believe, and I've listened to Sammy uh, a lot of times talk about this. There was 11 shooters, and they were in various locations. There were seven backup shooters, I believe. I think there were 11 people on the street altogether, but there were two shooters on Bilotti, two shooters on on, uh, Castellano that actually pulled the trigger. Sammy was a backup shooter, too. Even though he was, he was in the, the driver's seat. He was. Uh, I mean, John Gotti was in the driver's seat. Sam was in the passenger car, and he actually had a gun on him. And he was also a backup shooter. If he had to be. Now, did they want Bilotti dead, or did he just have to die because oh, he was yeah. the driver? Oh no, he was going. They knew Bilotti was be driving. He was loyal to him. They had to kill yeah, him. Right, so they had to kill him. Yeah, they, they went to his brother afterwards and let his brother know that. You know, don't worry about nothing. Nothing's going to happen to you. Just, you know, don't don't look to retaliate. You know, Billy, I got wrote down a few questions, and I'm going to point this question to both Mike and Tommy. I think Mike, you touched on both of them. The questions that I'm going to I'm going to throw two questions out, but you touched on them already, and it just seemed a little bit like maybe this uh, the fact that. Uh, these drug tapes came up on uh, Ruggiero and, and Gene Gotti and uh, Gotti capitalized on it to, to kill Paul. But I'm wondering if, you know, th- you, I'm going to ask you maybe to go into his mind a little bit. Was it his ego that pushed him to do it, that he wanted to be the boss, you think? Was it really the drug tapes? Because you hit on it earlier. The second question was they did an unsanctioned hit on a boss. And we know that there's always retribution for things like that. However, you pointed out, Mike, rules are broken all the time. A lot of times there's sit downs, there's money exchange, and you get a pass, so to speak. So did they go into this with 
you know, in their mind that they thought, well, we're gonna, I'm going to be the boss and nobody's going to try to come after us, that they were going to maybe talk their way through it. Was it his ego, you think? Was it John Gotti's ego? What was the driving force? And I'll throw it to you, Mike, first. What do you think was the driving force that made them go ahead with this plan, which obviously had retribution? But uh, what were your thoughts on that, Mike? Well, I think that I do think that it was Gotti's ego more than anything. and I, But I do also believe that he had to make sure that Castellano was gone because of the tapes kind of revealed that, that people in Gotti's crew were doing drugs. And, you know, Castellano had this rule about no drugs. And I think that he was fearful of retribution by, you know, by Castellano's people. But in my opinion, more than anything, it was Gotti's ego. He was the Teflon Don. He was this. He was that. He was everything that, that, uh, that the old guys didn't want to be. But he had to do something to make sure that he got to the forefront of that family to rule it. And that's what this was about, in my opinion. I, I think it was total ego. And, um, you know, uh, the other stuff was, was, were, were good uh, motives, but I think ego more than anything. I don't know, Tom, do you agree with me? Or- yeah, they look for excuses. They'll make excuses up. Exactly. You know, kill people. And they, uh, you know, they don't always kill them. Like, they, they, they're going to have one excuse to kill someone that's not worthy of getting killed for, and they'll think of something else that fits the part to have permission to kill somebody. So right. it's a treacherous life, and there's no loyalty there. You know, they talk about the loyalty and the honor. And I mean, Mike and me did a lot of cases together, you know, um, and – you see, you just see what goes on. You know, it's all the bottom line is power and money. You know, you know, Tommy, uh, I didn't invite Jimmy Calendra tonight, so he felt a little bad. So I gotta, I gotta read something that he wrote in the chat. Uh, Jimmy Calendra from a Beth Avenue story Frankie DeChico was Paul's power. Once Frankie DeChico betrayed Paul, all the other captains followed Frankie DeChico's lead. Yeah, that's thank you, Jimmy. Jimmy. Jimmy, stuff. they should do a movie on Jimmy. He's in the know. I would think that, uh, yeah, that's a pretty good opinion. But I wanted to make one other point, and I think, Mike, you touched on it. Drugs have been being dealt and money kicked to organized crime bosses for centuries. Okay, it goes all the way back to the Godfather. But, Tommy, you mentioned a couple of other reasons that you didn't get specific on. Other than the fact that, well, maybe it was Gotti's ego, which I agree with Mike. I'd lean towards that, too. He had a tremendous ego. We talked about his public. It was the tapes. It was what Mike said about money. He squeezed the quarter to legal scream. Uh, Yeah. It was also Gotti's ambition you know, to write, he wanted nothing more than to be the boss of the family. You know, his ambition was, was, and his ego was, you know, crazy. Frankie DiGico told Sammy, because Sammy said, why don't you be the boss and let John Gotti be the underboss? And Frankie DiGico was a very powerful guy and he was no slouch as far as a reputation of being a tough guy. And uh, he said, I could be his underboss, he could never be mine. And they, they also told him that, uh, Let's give him some time, see how he does. If he doesn't do good, we'll kill him. And then I'll be the boss. And to Sammy, you'll be my other boss. Yeah. But they blew him up. So that's how, you know, when that was it. And, you know, guys, the, you know, you were talking, Phil, a little bit about did they, did they anticipate retribution? Well, Tommy and I know very well that there was retribution because it was, because they went after um, they went after gas pipe. So many people. Gas pipe was you know the guy 
who ultimately tried to kill and blow up uh, uh, Gotti on 18th Avenue in uh, on 86th Street, excuse me, in Brooklyn. And the Chico was unfortunately the guy who was killed in that um, in that explosion. So and there, were, there was Bobby Boriello that gets killed. There's uh, Elino that gets killed. There's so many people that get killed because of the Castellano murder, and that falls right into the mob cop case. Right. That's a whole other story. Yeah, but Tommy, that's one of the things I'm I'm bringing out. Like they had a. You know, they had to uh, uh, think about this beforehand, that there was going to be retribution. So do you think that, that John Gotti thought maybe he could make deals with people or get passes on it oh, with the other bosses? The family and the Bonanno family gave him their blessing, you know, so right. they broke the rules too. Gaspipe played both ends of the fence. He played like he was telling Sammy that it's okay with us. But meanwhile, him in the chin, the one who was outraged over it was, the- was Vincent the chin again. Then, yeah, yeah. So that's where all the, you know, the, the ammunition was coming from, to gas pipe, to have people killed. He, he was going to kill Gotti, and he was taking out all his big shooters and his, you know, the guys that were threats. He was taking him. out his powerhouses, yeah. Taking out his powerhouses, that on Sammy. You know, I think also that, uh, that the chin was concerned. If Gotti got to the point where he ultimately got that, you know, Chin probably felt, you know, uh, vulnerable. At least um, he he was is the king in his area, but you know, he wasn't the um, he wasn't going to be the you know capo de tutti capi. That's what what uh, what Gotti wanted to be. And I and I think the Chin and Gaspipe uh, Gaspipe got together and said, let's get rid of this guy. He's just a you know he's just a pain in the ass, quite frankly, and he's a threat to us. And um, you know, and they used the thing Phil and Bill that he broke the rules. So therefore, you know, we got to kill him, but they wanted to kill him because they wanted to eliminate, you know, uh, a rival. What's that, Tommy? He was too flamboyant. He just, exactly. Gambino family. He heard all the families, you know, his, yeah, that, that was a tough guy. I mean, you can't take it away from him, but as far as that life goes, you know, the way it's supposed to be, that's why I say it's all, it's bullshit. You know, it's all bullshit. You know, guys, this is uh, Police Off the Cuff, Real Crime Stories. If you're not subscribed to us on YouTube, please go to our YouTube, hit that subscribe button, give us a thumbs up, ring that bell. Uh, you can support us on Patreon. We have three levels, and you can support us on YouTube, where we have five different levels. Thank you guys that are all in the chat for the support. This is uh, we're more or less doing a critique and giving more information in regards to The Last Gangster. That was just played last week on 2020. You can now watch it on Hulu. But there was a lot of different characters in that. And we actually stole one of the characters right off the screen. His name's Tommy Dades. It's the guy with the cab driver hat in the corner there, who happens to be a mob expert. And Mike Mike, Mike Vecchioni. You know, one of the things I wanted to say, too, uh, you know, with, with the actual hit, let's get into the actual nuts and bolts of the hit. I worked anti-crime for six and a half years. And... A mafia hit, I think, stole some of the the techniques we used in anti-crime to do their hit. They actually did. And it's like what I would call um, almost like a counterinsurgency, counter moves that they use. They just used it in reverse. And one of the things I was always enamored at was the, the crash car. In case the police or someone came up too close to the hit, they would have a car that would crash into the car. Right. And prevent prevent them from either seeing or from interrupting in the hit, and you know technically 
They use techniques, again, that we use in police work, but they, again, use them in reverse. Well, Tommy? They, they claim to be soldiers. A lot of this stuff is, you know, is the kind of thing that, it, that an army uh, insurgency in, in some, you know, uh, some backward place would, would put, into, uh, put into, into effect, you know. So, um, I mean, I, I think they made a point in the show last night about, about soldiers, you know, and that um, so they die in war. Therefore, you know, they're not necessarily bums. They're heroes. But, you know, but th there are a lot of things that that these guys do and have done, which is copied from, you know, from the military, I, I think. Anyway, anyway, yes. You know, so um, a lot of the killers were actually trained to kill. And a, lot, a lot of guys that I knew, yeah. they were trained to kill in the military. Like I'll, I'll mention one guy in particular, uh Maybe I shouldn't mention them, but uh, there's many guys that were involved in organized crime and they were killers that learned how to kill in the military. And we're a paramilitary organization being the NYPD, exactly. most police forces are, and they copied that too as well. Tommy, On the screen is uh, is Tommy Bellotti. He was the um, driving Paul Castellano the night of the hit in 1985. And he was the underboss. Okay, and uh, someone in the chat was saying, what a tough guy he is or was. Uh, uh, and he said Tommy Dates can second that. Liam O'Connor. He was a tough guy, no doubt yeah. about it. Liam O'Connor, I know I'm just a dumb potato eater, but I'm right here, trust me. Yeah. <laughs> Liam, just because you're Irish doesn't mean you're a dumb potato eater, all right? I'm Irish too. I would never say that about myself. <laughs> you know, Phil, I got, and Bill, I got to just tell you one thing. I had, I had a guy who came to me at one point wanted me to, to write his book, and um, he was a Colombo guy. And he told me that he got into the mob because he was recruited during the Vietnam War. He had gotten convicted and went into uh, prison, federal prison, as a as a juvenile. And the and at some point during the war, they needed soldiers, and they grabbed these guys who were going to be in forever and said, "Listen, here's your way out. You come over to Vietnam, you fight for us, and we'll let you out at the end of the war." And this guy was recruited to do that. And what he was trained to be was a sniper over in in Vietnam. And um, and G. Gordon Liddy from the CIA and from Reagan, um, I'm sorry, from um, Nixon. from the Nixon days in Watergate was his um, was his not CO, but he was his uh, controlling officer over there. So now this guy comes back from Vietnam. He's a he's a sharpshooter and he's a killer. And um, so that's why I said before about the about the military. You know, they they did train some of these some of these guys and they used it to, um, you know, to kill people on the streets of Brooklyn. And, uh, you know, Tommy and I had to clean up some of that stuff at some point, you know, so quite a bit, I would say quite a bit, yeah. but you know, someone, someone in the chat just asked, uh, and I, I like to answer their questions. Why would they pick this busy street, this busy restaurant, all this traffic? And there's a very good reason for that. Cause it's yeah, all the diversion witnesses, witnesses don't pay attention when they and they can't hear the crowd, the traffic is so busy. Something happens in New York City. A lot of people they just back well, 1985 when the, there was before no video cameras. What's that? Before they knew it was over, and the guys were gone. They were all right, and yeah. part of the diversion was they wore those Russian hats. And all like when people clothes. see that, they remember the hat and not the person's face. Exactly. The other thing is it's so crowded, Midtown Manhattan, Christmas time. There's so much happening that. 
before any shots are fired, these guys are blended in. So nobody's paying attention to them. That's one of the things. If it was a quiet street and there's four guys with Russian hats on, there's nobody else on the street. They would stick out. But Midtown Manhattan, the plan was really ingenious. I think we talked about I that mean, before. It was, it very it was an ingenious plan. You know, if it wasn't for anyone cooperating, nobody would ever got locked up for that. There's no doubt about it. You know, nobody cooperated. And that's, of course, where people co-op, you know, the, the importance of getting people to cooperate, right? To dismantle, you know, these crimes and to solve these crimes, you know. Um, but you know, organized crime was created in 1931, and it was created um, because a lot of Italians and Jews at the time were discriminated against in New York City, and they brought the you know traditions of the old country here to try to survive. And Lucky Luciano and Maya Lansky and, you know, a couple other people are the ones that actually created this whole idea of, you know, the families. And I think there were 23 bosses throughout the country, five most powerful being in New York. And that's where those rules were set and made up. And once they started breaking the rules, you know, you just become, you know, that's what that's what made it something why they were so powerful and so influential right and john Gotti, what he did was you know i know the fbi agents manager corporal max and, and uh frank spiro who actually sat for three years of their life filming the ravenite and because of him having people show up they told me this you know direct they identified 125 members of the gambino family that they wouldn't have identified had he not been show, had them not showing up at the at the Ravenite Club, so that was the first mistake he made, and he was his own he was his own worst enemy on what he did. Yeah, no, Tommy, that's a good point because um, back in those days there wasn't a lot of information on who was made and who was in the family, and so uh, the fact that those guys were uh, that God he was calling those meetings and uh, Maddie and Frankie were there, you know, identifying these people, that was probably very very valuable in the you know the the architect to bring down organized crime specifically. I gave them the idea and the probable cause to go upstairs into that apartment and bug it. You know, that's how they. They knew who Miss Sorelli was. They saw her leave that day. They knew when to bug the place. I mean, if it wasn't for all of that, they wouldn't have been sitting there like that. Yeah. You know, I think also, uh, Tommy, one of the things was is that uh, Gotti sort of snubbed his nose in the FBI's face. And if anyone knows anything about the feds, smart. they have unlimited money. They can, they can prosecute you till the end of time. Ronald and Ray they, did a press conference, and he mentioned organized crime. So when you got the president of the United States, a guy like Ronald Reagan, who I think is one of the best presidents we ever had in my lifetime, um, you know, when he's he's mentioning it, you know, you know, he's telling the Justice Department, I want these guys. So, you know, if he, and first of all, like Sammy, you know, said it on, I don't know if it was on the show, this New York gangster, whatever time he said it, he didn't outsmart. You know, he didn't beat these cases fair and square. They bought the juries. So right, right. You know, that's how they, they, they beat it. Sooner or later, you had to know that you were going to get, you know, they were going to sequester the jury and they were going to nail you. And those tapes they had, I mean, it's coming out of his own mouth. So how are you going to get away with it? Uh, Philly, I just want you to go to a quick break, and then sure. we're going to go back into Sammy and his 19 murders before we get right into the nuts and bolts of the, the hit on Paul Castellano. 
Joe Murray, attorney at law. Have you found yourself in a jam? Are you in need of legal counsel in the New York area? Do you need a victim's advocate? Well, Joe Murray is your man. He's not only an experienced trial attorney, he's also a retired 15-year member of the NYPD. He literally knows no both sides of defense. His website is jmurray-law.com. His telephone number is 646-838-1702. Or you could email Joe at joe at jmurray-law.com. Joe also has a podcast called Allegedly Guilty. You could find it on YouTube. Good man, Joe Murray. And there he is. <laughs> and he's a tough guy too. He's a former boxer. What do you mean you don't want to pay my retainer? That's right. What do you mean? What do you mean these wise guys in, in your in your chat, Ken, and don't want to hire me? <laughs> so, you know, one of the things that, uh, you know, when you watch The Last Gangster, you hear about that Sammy committed or was involved in 19 murders. And we would know that even if he didn't pull the trigger, acting in concert, you can be charged with doing it. But, and they even had members, uh, family members of some of the guys who he killed. And one of the things that I think we all need to understand, I think we do understand, but the public needs to understand was none of the people that he killed were, they were, they were in the game. They were, they were in that game. They were in organized crime. So it wasn't like he was killing the milkman or he's killing, uh, you know, uh, a legitimate citizen that wasn't involved in organized crime. But I mean, it doesn't, doesn't excuse him for doing that. But when the family starts crying about, Oh, he killed 19 people that usually their family member wasn't, was involved in, in the mafia too. Yeah. There were no civilians, but I, let me tell you something. I, I don't know even if Tommy knows this, but when he, when, when, um, when Sammy got arrested in Arizona, I, I had a, um, we got a call in our office and I was just, I just took over the rackets division when we got this call in the DA's office from um, this, the woman who was on TV uh, at, on uh, on that show Melito I forgot her first name she was she was she called and said that she has a, she's leading a group of the families and they want the DA to now go ahead and prosecute um, Sammy indict him for the murders because he had violated his deal for which he had gotten immunity from from those um, or, or they looked the other way or they didn't prosecute him for those murders so the DA gives me a call and said, um, here's what you're doing now. You're going to get all of those 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 uh, uh, files from the PD and prepare them for the grand jury. I was going to put, not, not every 19 of them was in Brooklyn, by the way. I think there were like 15 in Brooklyn or 14 in Brooklyn. There were other parts of the city. So I got all of the files and, um, and started to prepare them. And I got a call from, Tommy, you know who this is, the U.S. attorney at the time. He was an acting U.S. attorney. And he calls me, and I'll never forget this call, guys. He said to me, Mike, please, please don't do this. Please don't do it because you're going to embarrass us. If you indict him now for all these 15 murders, this, it looks like we couldn't take care of our own. He, he violated our rules. He violated the, the uh, deal we had with him. Let us take care of this ourselves. Well, I went to the DA, and the DA said, they let the feds you know, take care of it. And that's how... The, uh, they let Arizona indict him and, and put him in jail for the, for the, uh, you know, for the drug dealing. For the ecstasy, also, yeah. Yeah, I think they also took pleas in, um, uh, I think he also was, was, uh, took a plea to the 20 murders or eight, 19 murders in, in Brooklyn at that time that he had gotten a pass on the first time around. So I, have, I had every one of these files 
And literally, guys, I was starting to go through them to um, to find the witnesses and to, you know, to to, um, you know, to try to prosecute this guy. And, and I couldn't imagine what that what that press conference is going to look like with D.A. Hines standing up there saying that we just indicted Sammy Gravano for, you know, for 14 or 15 murders. I think it would have he would probably have been reelected if uh, we had done that at that point. <laughs> but um, anyway, so that that's a little known fact. And I don't, Tommy, I don't know if you knew that I I, was I, wasn't, I wasn't involved in that at all. No, you weren't. You weren't. I, I and and um, believe me, guys, it was quite a uh, it, it took me a long time to go through every one of them. But it was some reading I had. Uh, and you're right, Bill. Not every one of them did he pull the trigger on himself. He was either in the car. Maybe he gave the order. Some he did. He did kill. But I think uh, out of the 19, there's only two that he pulled the trigger on. Yeah, they, there were most of them were not. Him. One of, what the, the, there was one where he was his uh his 18th murder of Eddie Garofalo that I caught that case. Yeah. And, and, and uh, didn't he, he was on the block with a gun in his hand. Right. And didn't he kill his brother-in-law himself? No, it wasn't him. Shibeta, he, he didn't kill? He wasn't him. present. He was told, he was oh, told okay. that his brother-in-law killed and he gave it to, you know, his crew, but he wasn't there and he didn't pull the trigger. Okay. Okay. You know, one of the one of the things we asked of uh, Sammy the Bull when he was on the show of, of um, what was his relationship like with John Gotti? And, you know, he told us that he loved John Gotti like a brother. But, you know, he was he felt he was betrayed by him. And, you know, if you watched uh, Curtis Sliwa on the show the other night, you're a rat. Eat the Parmesan cheese. You saw him do that, right? Listen to me. Yeah. In law yeah. enforcement. In law enforcement. You know, if I was, you know, lucky enough to have had it with Mike, if we were lucky enough to have ever locked that crew up and Sammy cooperated, we would have had a feel, you, you know, you could stay with that for 10 years, you know. I think we still would have been working. Tommy. We'd still be working now, you know. I mean, the agents, the, the federal prosecutors, I mean, that was a, a great, when you really look at it, it was a great job. And. They knew exactly the tapes to play at the arraignment because Sammy, you know, he Sammy was a stupid guy. He was going to know that Gotti was setting him up for something, and they were very detrimental tapes, and it was coming right out of John Gotti's mouth. They knew they knew how to shake the tree, Tommy, and oh, I think I that when, when you when you you're bringing a light to something that wasn't brought out in the episode uh, on 2020. There was a lot of people involved in this in this investigation to bring oh, down, wow. oh. you know, John Gotti and the whole crew. And guys and everybody did a great job. They did a great job. I mean, like I said, if me and Mike have had a guy like Sammy, forget it. You know, I mean, just to talk to somebody like him back then, 30 years ago, when I got to see him, you know, um, he, he, you know, it's his his information that he had was invaluable. You know, you you, you can't. It, there's no, unless you have a Joe Pistone in every family, you, you're never going to get the information that a guy like him has. You know? Well, let me ask you something though: is is nineteen when we when when a civilian hears that someone traded nineteen murders for testimony and for their freedom, is that too much for the no, FBI to excuse? Uh, no, because Sammy was responsible. I believe. Don't quote me, but approximately 38 convictions or pleas, right, of some major players, plus intel on tons of other stuff. So even if those 38 people and 
did one murder each, you know, which you know there were more that was done. He 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 testified against the chin. I mean, the chin was God knows responsible for how many killings and shootings that he did himself. He actually Frank shot Frank Costello, you know, and he lived for Costello. But Sammy's information, yes, it was definitely worth it. It was and like Mike said, you know, like the guys that he shot. Well, he wasn't a Tommy Karate, you know, or a gas pipe. He wasn't killing women, kids, you know. He was killing people in the life that knew what they were into. So I don't say that one life is worth more than the other, but they knew what the consequences were in that life. And, you know, I don't wish any bad on anybody. But was it worth it, what the government did? 150%, my opinion. People could disagree yeah. with me. But you know what? The government played the long game here. They knew that if they could turn him, they were going to do exactly what ultimately happened. And in their minds, you know, we were trading those 19 lives for the 35 people or so that he put in jail, which probably meant that they were locked, that they were, you know, prosecuting guys who were responsible for hundreds of murders, you know? So, so that's, that's how they looked at it. And, um, and the families are never going to buy that. They're never going to buy that uh, that excuse. Of and course, you could see it from Melito, from that from uh, Melito's daughter. She would never. And I spoke to her back when I had the cases, and she was as adamant as anything about uh, about doing this, you know. And she said, "Don't worry, I got people who are, you know." And and you know what? She reached out to me one other time when he got out of jail in Arizona to see whether or not there was still some interest. In, in bringing him, she, I wasn't even working at that time. She wanted me to go back to the DA's office to see if I could convince them to now indict him for those, for, for the murders that were in Brooklyn, uh, because he was, he had now finished his, uh, his term in, um, in Arizona. So, you know, I'm just saying though, could you imagine the NYPD built a case like that and excused someone for doing 19 murders? Do you, could you imagine you think the NYPD could withstand the heat that the no. the feds get? No, they could not. No. They could not withstand that heat, the pressure yeah. from the press. But how does the fed? How do the feds do it? It's the Justice Department, and I agree. They listen. You know, they 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 cooperated Joe Messina. You know, they they cooperated Joe Vital or Sal Vitali, his brother-in-law. I mean, such so they cooperated major. You know, major guys. I mean, Greg Scarpa was, Scarpa was an informant for 30 years. Yeah. You, you know what I'm saying? So I agree, I agree with what the government did. You know, I have no, you know, like I said, these guys flip. If you don't get Sammy, you don't get those 38 other people. Right. You, you know what I'm saying? So that's why he was invaluable. You know, that's it's 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 part of the way the justice system works. And some people are going to agree with it. Some people aren't going to agree with it. I feel bad for anybody that has a family member that was killed. I guess I'd be pissed and feel the same way. I'm just looking at it from a neutral standpoint um, on how things work. And listen, with, it's organized crime isn't the only people that have informants. There's informants in terrorist cells. And, you know, the government, you know, in other countries, uh, that we were at war with, you know, informants are used and people cooperate are used all over the place for intelligence, you know, for the better good. And a lot of people wouldn't agree with that either, but it's still 
a necessary evil that needs to be done. I just want to up on the on the screen is the the chin hits Frankie DeChico, and this was sort of interrelated to the whole Paul Castellano thing, right? That he he put a bomb in Frankie DeChico's car. Is that not it correct? Was that worked for the chin, and it was gas pipe. Gas pipe. It was Vicamuso and Vicamuso's brother who were up the block while that guy put the bomb under the car. He was actually a munitions expert from Vietnam, and blew him up. When gas pipe, I, I interviewed gas pipe in person and he told me the told me the story and, and he went he did it because of the uh because of the Castellano murder. There's no doubt about it. He told me that. And um and and he he thought, and Tommy knows this, he thought that because Gotti used to go to, to that club on eighty sixth street every Sunday, that he was gonna be there with the Chico. And it turns out that they made a mistake. The guy who was the munitions expert was a guy who wasn't in the life. He was uh, he was kind of a, an associate, right? He wasn't a made guy. He I wasn't a made guy. He was a he was an old um, an army guy who knew how to build and make um, IEDs essentially, which is what he made. And he tells me the story that when they were he was when when this guy Pate was sitting on 86th Street waiting for that for the Chico and the Gotti to get into the car, this guy made a U-turn on 86th Street and put and put the the um, and and they had, gas pipe had put the, the uh, IED under the car before that, and walked away. This guy, uh, his name was Herbie Pate. Pate made the U-turn, sat next to the car, and and uh, ignited it or you know set it off. When he was right there, blew his his door off. It blew you know he had to take off, and and he was he, that's how how much venom there was that they wanted to get Gotti so much that this guy made sure that this bomb was going to go off. He was sitting right next to the car that he was blowing up. What idiot does that? But he did it. And uh, and then told us, guess what I told him, that the FBI finally found the car, right, Tom, in, in a garage in, in Brooklyn. So the, the car that he was driving, that Pate was driving, was damaged from the bomb? Yeah. yeah. yeah I didn't side, know that. Okay. Blew the side door off. And he, and he drove it away. And ultimately, gas pipe took it, and they put it in some some friend's garage and they left it there, but the FBI found it. I think gas pipe may, I don't know if he turned at that point and told them where it was. Uh, I'm just not sure about the, about the timing, but gas pipe told me that the FBI had, and they still have it. They said they still had it back then when I interviewed him, which was, you know, which was now probably 10 years ago, 15 years ago. So, um, so it was, um, it, it, they really wanted to get Gotti because of that. And, uh, but I also think it was because of the jealousy. That's that's what I believe. They just thought he was a he was a rival. Hey, I got to tell you one last quick, one quick story in terms of the impact of, of Sammy turning. I was a defense attorney and I was in federal court in the Eastern District waiting. It was a lunch break and I was waiting to go back into the courtroom for my trial. And I see and the windows case was down the hall from where I was a big organized crime case. And I see the Sammy Sammy's lawyer, the guy that was representing Sammy at the time, although Sammy wasn't involved in that case comes up onto the floor of where, where we were. That was the fourth floor, fifth floor, I don't remember. Said hello to him, and he was inundated at that point by the press. I'm telling you guys, he was surrounded. I couldn't even see him after he was inundated. And I finally made my way into the, um, into the, into the crowd. I said to him, I won't tell you what his name is. I just said, what, what happened? He said, Gravano just turned. He just turned. Wow. And it got out, and it was... It was bedlam in the in this hallway in the courthouse 
because everybody in the press wanted to talk to this lawyer about what happened. I said to him afterwards, I saw him after. I said, what, what now? He said, I can't represent him anymore. I got to get, he's got to get another lawyer. I, wow. He said, I'll never get Cause another lawyer. Because I'm a stand-up guy. I'm a stand-up lawyer. And I don't yeah, yeah. The guys that you know, flip, I don't represent them anymore. Exactly. You know what he was worried about? Not getting any more clients. Any more clients. That's right. That's right. <laughs> guys, you know, right. we wanted we wanted to cut this at at 45 minutes. We're almost there. Okay. And uh, the part two of this is going to be Thursday night at 9 o'clock, where we're going to get into the part where Sammy the Bull cooperates, where some people will say he turned rat. He'd rather say we interviewed him on a show that he cooperated. Phil, I'm going to give you last words. And, uh, and then we're going to go and we're going to say goodbye till Thursday night. Bill. Uh, last words. Uh, there's a few things that we touched on tonight that I had questions ready for Thursday night that I think it's going to be very interesting. I hope everybody tunes in Thursday night. Real quick, Tommy. He was described, Sammy DeBull was described as a serial killer in the 2020 episode. What do you think? Serial killer, yes or no? No. Mike, what do you think? No, okay. No, I, I'm, I'm of the same opinion of that. He's involved in 19 murders, like Tommy said. It was probably, he pulled the trigger on a handful of them, but he had knowledge of them. And I'm not saying he's a good guy, he's a bad guy, but there are serial killers like uh, we talked about That's Gas Pipe right. and uh, Mayo and other people. So, guys, yeah. uh, really, really try to tune in uh, Thursday night, 9 p.m. There's some uh, great stuff we're going to follow up with. Uh, things that weren't really said on the 2020 episode, opinions. You got tremendous expertise of Michael Vecchione and Tommy Dades. Stay tuned on uh, Thursday night, 9 p.m., and we'll follow up with the uh, rest of the facts, not the alleged facts, the true facts. All you folks in the chat, thank you so much for listening. And we're going to have another great episode Thursday night uh, at 9 p.m. And we're going to, uh, as I said, cover the part where, uh, where where Sammy cooperates, where some of you folks call him a rat. He would rather call himself a cooperator. So I'm Bill Cannon from Police Off the Cuff Real Crime Stories. On behalf of myself and Phil Grimaldi and Tommy Dades and Michael Vecchioni, everyone have a great night. Oh, I wanted to just mention one thing quick uh, while we're still here. That uh, well, i got to find it first. Here we go. This is the book that Tommy Dades and Michael Vecchioni wrote, Friends of the Family. We'll cover this one other, some other time in detail. This details the arrest of uh, the mafia cops, uh, Stephen Caracappa and Louis Ippolito. But uh, we can't cover everything in one night, guys. So we'll see you Thursday night at 9 o'clock. Folks, thank you so much for listening. Police off the cuff. One episode, just ain't enough.